Listener Production. The creators of this podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which it is recorded. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the first storytellers of this land. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, as well as any Indigenous people who may be listening today. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Relax, this is Dope Up. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello and thank you for watching. Uh, what you missed is just as Charlie was about to start the countdown to do this episode, he just muttered to himself like some old man out of nowhere. You just like make that noise with your lips and then just went, oh, poppy seeds. No explanation. Bang into the podcast. So now I have well, I assume you are consuming some poppy seeds with the poppy seeds just in a mix of nuts and seeds that you were eating or were you having like a poppy seed muffin or something like this? Where where have these poppy seeds come from? Oh no, I'm growing heroin. Um, oh, okay. I've got a poppy field in the backyard <laughs> and it's really hard in these conditions to get the poppy seeds just right to grind down into a fine uh, opiate which I can then sell. Uh, no, I had um, I just uh, wolfed down a piece of toast before we jumped on. But I mean, look, I know you've got teeth issues, and I'm not going to. You know that meme of uh, uh, Mel Gibson talking to Jim Casaville as a bloody Jesus, and it's always used as like, "Hey, don't tell me your problems. Like, I've got real problems." <laughs> I just there are certain foods I love, like poppy mm-hmm. seeds, like strawberries, yeah. where the seeds seem to be perfectly size to get stuck in my molars and never come out and like you know no amount of toothpicking or whatever will get them out and it's like it's like a cosmic joke on me these things that you love the most will irritate you the most you'll spend days just like trying to dig these things out with your tongue at at night you'll think you can feel one you know you'll uh, two days later one will pop out you know you'll accidentally spit a poppy seed under someone you're talking to (laughs) And I do think it might be a genetic thing because I do uh, remember my mum saying to me once, we had a chat about when she, you know, the many times she was pregnant and I said, what was the weirdest food craving you ever got? And she said, oh, she had this really burning desire once to eat an entire bowl of poppy seeds. She made my dad go out and find like as many poppy seeds as he yeah, could. Okay. She just so ate she them had, in a bowl. No, Well, this is, I'm hearing she wanted some heroin and he decided a bowl full of poppy seeds was as close as he was going to go. She goes, I'm in incredible pain. You need to go and score me some horse. <laughs> <laughs> some <laughs> poppy seeds. Yeah. And he's come back with a bowl of poppy seeds and gone, that's the best I could do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is the uh, – I mean, I, what is the – the, what is the tipping point from 
poppy seed to to heroin? Like, at what point? I mean, what do you have to add to like poppy seeds to make them? Okay, bad? how many poppy seeds? They're so great. Poppies are beautiful to look at. The flowers, the seeds are delicious. At what point do they break bad? Like, <laughs> who comes along and what do you add? To a poppy seed to make it break bad. Okay. Well, I'm going to the uh, Oz Health, um, OzHealth.com.au website. Oh, you didn't go to Heroin Growers Association, <laughs> the HGA? Uh, if you eat a lot of poppy seeds, can you return a non-negative drug test result? Okay. Uh, um, I think you – so uh, it's a non-negative. So so you've tested positive. Uh, no, I don't think that's possible. They're not calling it a positive. They're calling it a non-negative. Non-negative. Right? So, uh, well, the answer is yes, you can. Poppy seeds can contain opiates and codeine. Australian-grown poppy seeds are known to be particularly rich in opiate content. A teaspoon of seeds, five grams. So, okay, so would you eat more than a teaspoon of poppy seeds at a time? Yeah, I'd say in just that one slice of toast I had, there was – more than a teaspoon. It's covered well, in the bastards. Don't you be doing a drug test then? Because apparently, a teaspoon of poppy seeds can result in a strong, a strong non-negative result, and a confirmed positive lab test. All right, you junkie. Like- <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I think if I'm forced to do a drug test for some reason, that's probably the least of my worries. <laughs> Okay, whenever possible, Oz Health recommends declaring poppy seed ingestion if it happens a day or so before an on-site test. So this is this is your classic oh, this is your classic cover story yeah. for your heroin addict, right? Yeah, Who wants this to is get great. away with the fact that they're doing heroin? All you've got to do is get that mythical bowl of poppy seeds that your mother was craving at that time. And instead I mean, I, of say snacks or M and M's on the like you know in in the kitchen on the table, they just have this big bowl of poppy seeds. I didn't realize I was like dancing with danger. You know, just come back from Southeast Asia, where the attitude towards heroin, like I, I could have ended up in the Bangkok Hilton if they'd decided to test me for some reason. <laughs> Man, this this guy's trying to come into the country with an entire loaf of toast up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this bread is so yeah. good. There is a, a bakery, a local bakery mm-hmm. here that is like I actually had to wean myself off it. Like you know the kind of bread which is so good, you just eat it on its own. Like if you get it fresh, you'll happily. You don't even need butter. It's that goddamn good. It's so like tasty, and um, I wean myself off it. A because like I was just eating too much of it. Um, and once you're in the bakery too, it is like it is like a drug dealer. It's like, yeah, you come for a loaf of bread, but have you checked out the donuts? Have you checked yeah. out the Boston pastry? Have you checked, you out ever, have you checked out you ever, this? Ever thought of First style? one free, baby. Yeah. <laughs> First taste is free. How do you feel about a baklava croissant? <laughs> oh, my God. And they have like the brioche donuts. It's amazing uh-huh. with like fresh raspberry. Anyway, <laughs> the point being, I leave myself off it. Partly for that, but partly because Jem is gluten intolerant and so – she was like, can you just get gluten-free bread? And Iona, it turned out, liked the the gluten-free bread. And I was like, okay, this is not. I can live with this. It's quite a nice gluten-free bread. And then after having bought it for about a year, I decided to check the price of it before I actually purchased it. And I was like, we are, fuck this. <laughs> this is, we cannot afford gluten-free bread. Well, Gemma, what we'll do is we'll buy yeah. gluten-free, but that's yours. No, Iona and I cannot touch that because that's like, that's like, 
in my house, my mum would have called that the good bread. <laughs> she would have put it in the in the in the crystal cabinet with all the other fine things we had. But it, we cannot afford to eat that more than like well, once what, a what month. Well, what you need, you know how sometimes you find a little corner shop that is willing to sell people like individual cigarettes. Yeah. They won't say your whole packet, but they'll just like that's. You just need to find someone who's willing to sling you a slice when Gemma feels like some toast, because you don't need to be investing in an entire loaf of bread. That feels to me like you know there's going to be wastage involved. There's got to be freezing yeah, involved. She's not eating it every it. day. No, you just need like a local bread dealer who's willing to just slice you off like a slice every now and again. And it would be great if like my phone was seized and they mm. checked my WhatsApp and they're like, you're clearly mm. communicating with this drug dealer. Look at this yeah. kind of pseudonyms you're using. Bread? You want a slice of bread? I'm like, no, yeah. literally. That's I want one slice over. of bread. Well, you do a drug test. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, it says here you're on heroin. No, it's poppy seed bread. It is poppy seed. <laughs> Tell me more about these shops where you can buy an individual cigarette. I've never heard of such a thing. Uh, really? Oh, yeah. No. quite. A, it's quite a common... Um, like, you know, you know, in every neighborhood, well, particularly in the Dodgy city, milk bars, every neighborhood has like a milk bar that is essentially just items. I don't think they have their own specific deliveries from like companies or anything like that. I think that somebody just who works there get. just pops down to the supermarket and they see yeah. what's on special and then they come back and they just add $3 to that on the price tag for convenience of, you know, just having to go around the corner. So it's always a random collection of you know, milk, bread, cigarettes, and, you know, various household items. Often in one of those places, they're quite quite happy to sell you an individual cigarette. Okay. Have you yeah. ever purchased an individual cigarette? I haven't, but I'm You've aware that done. this happens. Oh, you know what I have done, though, in this exact what? same establishment that I'm picturing in my mind at the moment? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, have, I have bought an individual chocolate that was from a box that said not for individual resale, and I have bought an individual ice cream that clearly was in the white wrapper, not the normal wrapper that comes in. That so they've clearly gone and got like a you know a box of six magnums or whatever, and they're not in the proper magnum coating. So I bought the equivalent. I bought the ice cream and chocolate equivalent of them selling an individual cigarette. And are you doing the math in your head? Are you saying okay, like eight bucks for a, you know, a box of twelve chocolates? Therefore, that works out to you know just under a dollar each. Or something. No, Adam Spencer's listening to this because I'm pretty <laughs> proud of myself that I kind of arrived somewhere near an accurate an accurate summation there. Uh, no, when you're in this, I mean, it's like going to Disneyland. You just can't get upset about the prices. When you're yeah. down at this local place, it's very much about like I think going to one of those milk bars is either two things. You're either going to spend, you just need something out of necessity, right? Like you don't want to go to the major supermarket to get some milk, so you're just going around to get some milk or something random like that that you just don't have at home. So firstly, it's necessity. So in in, in that case, it is a seller's market. Like for the hassle of you not having to get into the car and go to the supermarket, you're willing to pay the extra three, four, five dollars that they've bunged on or whatever product it is that you need around there. The other one, is people who go in there and shop like they've just won. Remember on the old school Wheel of Fortune where it was like, yeah. let's go shopping? And yeah, however it's, it's much. Normally the, it's normally a dad yeah. who's fucking forgotten that he was meant to get shopping on the way home. And is now like the kids are gonna be the kids are gonna be eating like that microwavable rice and some two minute noodles for dinner. That's what he got them. The veggies are gonna be in the in the in the two minute noodles. Yeah, I've I've got $45. And I'm just spending that $45 on whatever random products that are in here. And then I'm going to put them in a bowl and that's your dinner, kids. <laughs> um, 
I uh, remember there was a video game store when I was a kid and it was right near the train station where like, you know, all the school kids would go in the morning and go off to their different schools. And so it's a good like prime bit of real estate for a video game uh, store, you would have thought. But they always had like, A, it was always packed, but B, it was the barest selection of video games, cartridges you've ever seen. This big NES's video, uh, video game emporium. And I, for the longest time, have wondered what was really going on at Big Nez's video game emporium because it was always filled with like, like Jimbo Joneses, that yeah. kind of teenager, like Lo- local hoodlums, local hoodlums. You know the toughs. I I, I was kind of friends with a few yeah. of them because uh, Big Nez's little brother played in the same yeah. uh, footy club that I did as well. So now was Big uh, Nez was Nez like a last name? Like you know, so was there Big Nez and Little Nez or was it? No, I, can't, I think it's a first name because his okay. his little brother wasn't a Nez. No, so I think it was his first name, and he he actually sort of had that kind of. Kind of, he was big. He was like, he had that sort of fat Albert kind of charisma where he was the big, cool guy. That, like he was one of those, ki- he wasn't a kid. He was probably 18, 19, 20. Uh-huh. Yeah. But he was he was cool enough that the, his size didn't make him the target of ridicule. Maybe he could fight or something. I don't know. But I just seem to remember it was always generally accepted that Big Nez is Big Nez and no one ever mentioned his weight or his size. He was just Big Nez. It was part of his, it was part of his thing. But again, that implies that there's something else going on at Big Nez's, right? Like the idea that ever all the kids in the neighborhood were like cool with Big Neza feels like that they were in Big Neza's employ or Big Neza was letting them like log on to the internet in a way that other people wouldn't let them log on to the internet or something was going on. Like he was burning them cheap copies of games. Like there's some sort oh, of scam going on at Big Neza's that all these kids are in there for. I mean, I'm not saying Big or, Neza's or- behind it. I'm just saying with the name Big Neza, it sounds like either he was the dude behind it or Big Neza is the person that somebody else is setting up as the dupe, the fall yeah, guy. Yeah, that's right. There's power that's right. behind the thrones, and they've put Big Neza out the front. The you know everybody loves Big Neza. He's a readily <laughs> identifiable person, and behind the scenes, someone's running some dodgy, <laughs> dodgy escapade out of the emporium. Well, it was Big Nez for a start. Just like mm. I'll, I'll just correct you right there, Big Nez, not Big Neza. Oh, not Big Neza. Okay, <laughs> no, you're, sorry. You're Australianizing it. It's Big Nez. <laughs> but I do seem to remember, like uh, he wasn't like a scary dude. Like there was no obvious ties to kind of like you know crime or anything like that. I don't remember him even like buying his booze or anything like that. He was just this sort of like cool, lovable kind of big dude who just he seemed to love video games, but had very little stock. Now. The fact that the local Tufts hang out there might also just be because local Tufts need a place to hang out. It's after school. You don't want to go home because it's like the Beastie Boys say, you know, like living at home is such a drag. Your mum just threw away your best porno mag. So that could be a reason, just a place to hang out after school. But I also think there may have been some either weed going on or maybe Big Nairs would buy some beers and they'd all hang out at the back. Like it, it was like a clubhouse, a clubhouse for ne'er-do-wells. <laughs> Mm. Said to me, 15 years old, standing there with my arms folded, looking at these ne'er-do-wells. I mean, I would like to think they're nez-do-wells in this yes. situation. So he had his little <laughs> bunch of nez-do-wells. Again, I, this is it, it, to me it has a Lost Boys vibe. You know how um, the dude who was in the – spoilers for the Lost Boys if you haven't seen the Lost Boys, but the guy who tries to – date the mum, you know, the older guy who turns out to be the, you know, the boss of the Lost Boys, the head vampire. 
maybe that's your sort of big Nez. Big Nez was your sort of friendly front person. And then you had like a local bunch of teen vampires or whatever. But maybe like it was daytime when you saw them. So probably not vampires, but. That makes sense because yeah. they were like the Kiefer, the yeah. Kiefer Sutherland gang. I mean, they didn't dress. I mean, if they dressed really well, like I mean, those guys, <laughs> there's some snappily dressed vampires. Like it was, it was kind of mixed between sort of like Elizabethan pirate or something. That was, that's how you describe it. I never quite understood in the Lost Boys because it was like you know it was the '80s, so there's a lot going on, but. Were those guys just so snappily dressed because that's how people dressed in the eighties, or is there a, were, was that an extra layer on top of that? Like, were they dressed like you know if they were turned in the seventeen hundreds or something? Why did they dress like rock stars, like Adam Ants? Yeah, they definitely had like a Spandau ballet influence <laughs> in what was going on. Um, I think a bit of both. I think it was probably a good era for vampires to be able to wear what what you traditionally think was their garb. Like, but with a modern twist and still kind of generally fit into society, not stand out completely. That's a good point mm. because there would be a certain era of vampires where, like, even maybe in the 50s, yeah. you could hang on to your wardrobe and go, like, oh, there's some stuff back. Or hipsterism, at least, has brought that mm. back. Like, it wouldn't be unusual for you to be at, like, a hipster pub and see a, a, a young dude in, a, in, a, in a, 50, a snappy 50s suit with a right. Stetson or something like that. You'd be like, all right. But for the older generation of vampires, the ones who were turned in Victor- the Victorian era, that hasn't quite – like if he's the same dude is wearing a top hat and mm. tails, you'd be like, oh, what the fuck's going on yeah. here? Who's that clown? What's going yeah. on? Why, why, why is that guy dressed like the, the old picture they used to have on the gents' toilet at the pub? I don't understand. <laughs> Do you think – I was um, at the beach uh, a couple of days ago and look – Nudity is legal. Let's just say it. Everyone's everyone's naked now. It's just like, how much skin do you want to show? Like, I'm not a, I'm not a prude, will, but Jesus Christ, like there is a lot of skin on display at the moment. Do you think, in the same way that there has been this kind of movement with like zillennials and stuff against the generation before, so apparently they don't drink as much, like non-alcoholic beer sales are up, and they don't abuse drugs, you know, like our generation used to, all the kind of stuff that defined us, yeah. the generation, the cool generation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Apparently that's kind of all downtrending, right? But what doesn't seem to be downtrending is the gradual kind of body positive, like the body positivity and the embrace of kind of like body image and all that kind of stuff. Could you foresee a future in which not some kind of authoritative regime, but just fashion trends, a generation comes in and they're like, girls just like, you know what? Let's just wear bathers like they were in the 1920s. Just like ankle to shoulder, you know, maybe a bit of sexy ankle, uh, 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 maybe a bit of wrist, but no more. And that catches fire? Or is the world and information so democratized and so widespread now that it's just like, well, that may happen in a group, but there'll always be ass and tits and dicks and butts. All butts and asses are the same thing. Okay. <laughs> there's a, lot to, there's a, lot, there's a lot to unpack in that question, I've got to say. So <laughs> firstly, here's what I'd say. Fashion is cyclical. You yeah. know, like there was – remember there was the era of low-waisted jeans, you know, the ones that re- really barely covered anybody's genitals, and then that tended to be followed by an era of like high-waisted jeans or high-waisted like pants being the fashion. At the moment – Absolutely, when it comes to beachwear, that if you were a person who did not want to wear like a G-string bikini, you like or a barely there outfit, it must be incredibly difficult to 
to find that at the moment. I would yeah. think because it just well, that's feels- what my female friends are telling me. Mm. Like you go to buy a bikini now, it's very hard to find one with the ass intact. Yeah, and so is this a choice that individuals in society are making? Or is this a choice that society has made on behalf <laughs> of, of those dudes. individuals? Because <laughs> if you think of it like that, if you're like, no, you can't, here's what you can have. This one piece of string, this small yeah. piece of fabric, this is the only thing available. Now you get down to that beach. So how much of that is um, that, that it is the trend of the time? I think it is the trend of the time, clearly. There is the, like you said, part of it is body positivity, which is, you know, it's, like it's not just people who traditionally had the figures where you would say this is a person who would wear this sort of thing to the beach. There's been an embrace of saying, "Hey, if you want to wear that, and who cares what your body size is, you should be proud of who you are and be comfortable with who you are." And that's all positive. But there's also an aspect of it that feels like this is the time, right? Like people are becoming famous on. Instagram or TikTok or, you know, social media, a lot of the time from, you know, even influencers stuff, a lot of it's bikini pics or G-string pics or fitness yeah. pics. It's the currency of the time. Mm-hmm. Will we move through that? Like, will we move through the Kardashian sex tape era into a next era? I think so, because I think that every generation wants to be able to define themselves. And the best way to define yourself as a generation is in opposition to what the people before you were doing. That's why so often there becomes that battle of the generations is because how do we define who who we are? You know what it's like? It's like when you're a teenager. You define who you are a lot of the time by, I hate this, I, I don't this, like this, yeah. right? And then yep. you become an adult and things become more gray and you become more nuanced in your thinking. But I think every generation has that moment of going, well, if the last generation were just wearing G-string G- bikinis to the beach, maybe the next generation will embrace like, you know, the head, maybe not the head to toe, although here's the one thing that's in favor of the head to toe, climate change, because (laughs) there might be in the next couple of years, it might become like, I could imagine, for example, if like a Greta Thunberg was seen down at the beach in some sort of absolutely styling, like full body, like, you know, swimming outfit that there would be a generation of like young women, certain young women who would find that and be mm. like, oh, fuck, I'm going to get one of those. That's what I'm going to wear, yeah. you know, down to the beach. And I could see, yeah. But at the moment, it's definitely, I mean, there's not much else that people can take off now without yeah. it just being a nude beach. Yeah. It's it's sort of weird too. Like, I mean, it's men and women as well. Mm. Like I, just yeah. that kind of that that peacocking and so oh, well, sorry I don't want to be sound judgmental because look I mean if I had some of the rigs that these people had like I'd be peacocking as well but it is kind of like it's not just reserved for the beach like you know you walk up the street you go to the shops or whatever and people are wearing next to nothing and I just wonder if uh, yeah there is sort of fashion and there is kind of like you know generations wanting to carve their own thing but once something's out of the once the genie's out of the bottle. Like there was gender and sexual oppression <laughs> before this point. That's what kept things in line. That's what kept us covered up. It was religious dogma. It was gender oppression. Shame. It was a lot like of shame. shame. <laughs> it was a bunch of shame. Guilt and shame. So I guess, yeah, climate change would be one thing. But yeah. if there was a global shaming, like mm. if aliens mm. landed and they made a, 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 like a global announcement said, listen, yeah. we've, been, we've been looking at you and you're we've disgusting. Been <laughs> It's you disgusting. are gross. Our kids 
when like our kid, we caught our 12 year old watching yeah. what's going on earth and we were disgusted we were thinking of letting you into the galactic federation but not until you just bloody cover up it's yeah. disgusting you should be ashamed put some gear on hide your ugly put bits some- <laughs> shame yeah. shame our, our message to you was going to be peace but now it's shame yeah, but then we discover that race yeah. of aliens who broadcast have got like 18 tits and 48 dicks, and so they are constantly like self-conscious about stuff falling out, and so it's like we have to counsel them. Yeah. It's like, no, you should embrace who you are. Rather than shaming yeah. us, it's about embracing your- Mate, get your dicks mega, out. Your multiple- <laughs> your, your multi-pronged fellas. Just get it out. Shake it about. Love yourself, man. Embrace yourself. I'm going to play you this artist, an Earth artist called Lizzo. I yeah. think I think this will help. <laughs> hey, um, speaking of music, we love a bit of a lyric breakdown on this show. So much so that I've thought. You know, we could actually do a whole separate program. <laughs> you and I just kind of go to the lyrics of songs and talk about them. Um, I was driving the other day. Lose Yourself came on. Uh, Iana was in the back. She was digging it, doing a bit of head bob. I've got very skilled now at singing the lyrics of stuff, but when it gets to the F-bombs and shit, mm. just changing it to hug or, you know, handhold yeah. or high five or whatever. You're, you're like a rapper doing Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I'm Will Smith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's one of my favourite things about – I was watching actually last night um, uh, Kendrick Lamar on Saturday Night Live, and uh, it is one of the things that I love about, like, the most hardcore of rappers – are also aware of what their responsibilities are when it comes to, you know, doing a network television performance of their song. And so if you see Jay-Z or Eminem or Kendrick or whoever on Letterman or Saturday Night Live or any of those sort of things, they all just are able to immediately, or doing the Super Bowl halftime show, you just suddenly go, oh, they just censor it. They just come up with another word or they drop it out and they just do it so easily and there's never been a time when, you know, Eminem's just decided to drop the N-word in the middle of the Super Bowl grand final yeah. or whatever, you know? And I find that quite impressive, I've got to say. Like, I Have you got any stand-up bits mm. where the swearing is like part of the punchline or an essential part, which you could swap it out for TV? Like, have you got anything where it's, it's, it's key to you swearing, saying fuck or shit or cunt or something? I mean- What are the seven words you can't say? Tits ass, cunt, shit, fuck. Most of them you can say. I think mostly. Okay. <laughs> look, I mean, you can say cunt after nine thirty or nine o'clock. Really? On on television, yeah. yeah. Or any time on a podcast, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially not on the uh, promo video we send out during the week. I've, though, s- I've said it several times on our national broadcaster. I've spent hard-earned taxpayers' dollars to say the c word, but I don't like to swear on TV in a general sense, but. But, yeah, I've never had one of those things where, like, you know, I've had to turn. It's not the core to your, any of your bits. There's not, like, the swearing. So you could easily Will Smith it if you had to. How do you feel about this? I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. So this, <laughs> it's kind of on this topic, but it's just it's one slight beat away. So I went to see Kendrick Lamar when he was touring recently. And incredible show. Like, honestly, one of, you know, the best, like, rap gigs I've ever been to in my entire life. But it's just him by himself for the majority of the show in the middle of the stadium, you know? No band, no one else on stage, no dancers. Like, there are some dancers in the show, but for most of it, it is just, like, him by himself. 
the rapping is incredible, but occasionally during the chorus, which is not like a unusual thing to do, particularly because he has big, memorable hooks in a lot of like his songs, he would get the audience to sing along. And there's 12,000 people in Brisbane. They're like having the best time. But there was one where the chorus like has the N word in it. And oh, yeah. I was like, is this a trap? Like, <laughs> you know, that moment where he like goes to the audience in that moment. And here's what I will say that I think in a general sense, no one's saying like, I think everyone in the audience knew that the appropriate mm. thing to do was when they got to that drop word it. in the chorus was just to drop it. Like, cause you could actually hear in the entire room. You're like, cause I was listening out. I was like, is anyone going to go with it? And, like that's that's almost he shouldn't have. I I was like this could have gone really badly wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean that's also weird. Like, yeah. all right, so just say there. I mean, there's obviously I imagine there would be black people in the crowd as yes. well. Are I they mean, it was Brisbane, it? so there wasn't heaps, but <laughs> <laughs> but they're allowed. But they would be allowed to use it, or is it? Does it depend where you're from or what your history is? Like, I mean. Could someone who grew up in Australia, maybe, I don't know, like they're Indian or Pakistani, could could they say it? Has anyone ever called them? Do you have to be have been called that to get away with it? And if you do need to prove your credentials, how do you prove it? Mm. Like if a guy next to you had mm. been black but maybe not African-American mm. or even African descent and he dropped it, would you mm. have given him a side eye or would you give him a pass? Uh, pass. 100% okay. pass. <laughs> I'm not getting into this shit. <laughs> Excuse me, mate. Where are you from? <laughs> Before I, a, a white middle-aged guy at a Kendrick Lamar concert, judges whether you're, you're allowed to say the N-word, where are you from? Okay, what if Kendrick Lamar yeah. was aware of this kind of conundrum? Yes. And before he said, look, we're going to do this song and I want – I want you to all, you know, uh, you know, rap along when I get to the chorus. I know, look, looking out there, it's Brisbane. Mm. <laughs> I know it's a fairly wide audience. Mm-hmm. I'm here to say I didn't write it with that intent. The word doesn't mean it, but I just want to hear you all say it. <laughs> like <laughs> if Kendrick gave you permission. No. Like he he preempted. 100% would you have, I'd be like, you, you, you trapper. This is a trap. <laughs> this is a giant fucking sting. <laughs> They've got cameras everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. I would have been fine. I was wearing a mask. No one would have seen anything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does sound like entrapment. Um, all right. So, uh, lose yourself. Yes. So, uh, wrapping along to it, and it's a, geez, it's a good song. Like, there are so many layers to it. But, this thing sort of, there's one line that stuck out to me and I'm like, I wonder when Eminem wrote this, what was going through his head? Because I've got a few questions, okay? So you'll know this. Life of my family, because man, these God food stamps don't buy diapers and it's no movie. There's no Mackay Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mackay Pfeiffer who starred with him in 8 Mile. Mile. Now, a couple of things going on here. Okay, so Eminem is acting as Rabbit in 8 Mile, but he's rapping as Eminem. He's not Rabbit in this song. And so he's saying, this is no movie, unlike the movie I've just been filming with my friend Mackay Pfeiffer. Do you think he was betting on Mackay Pfeiffer being a bigger star when there was already a Michelle Pfeiffer out there? Like, you know, rappers like to sort of, you know, reference and make comparisons and similes and stuff like that. 
The obvious one there, if you want to rhyme a Pfeiffer, is Michelle Pfeiffer. But do you think he thought, oh, Mackay, I'm really impressed with the work he's been doing in Eight Mile. I think he's going to be a big star. I reckon in 20 years' time, when people listen to this, they'll be like, oh, my God, like he's the Marlon Brando of acting. Or do you think Mackay Pfeiffer was like, hey, man, I'd really love to be in one of your songs if you could find a way to reference me? Like, what's go- What do you think was going on with that particular line? Firstly, I'm not sure that Eminem has ever been particularly careful around how well his references will date. It's fair to say that some of the things that he said in his raps, the pop culture references, he hasn't been looking at like, will people still like, you know, get this Moby joke in 20 years from now, right? That's a good point. (laughs) So I would think he probably isn't looking that far into the future. I think it's, yeah, it's a shout out to a, a friend or somebody that he's, you know, become friendly with, you know, in making the movie. So does that then elevate him above all the other people in the movie? That's the more interesting question for me. Like, are there other guys who made that movie with him who were like, well, hang on. Yeah. Whereas Brittany Murphy was yeah. like, she could say she was like the second biggest star in that film, right? Yeah. Like, Mackay Pfeiffer- Kim Basinger. Sure like- Kim Basinger must be like, it's easy yeah. to write. Easy to write Basinger or something, mate. Well, it's diapers. I mean, who else could he have brought in? There's diapers and Pfeiffer. That's what he- which, you know, yeah. like Clawson and Awesome, yeah. slant rhyme. I don't know how you feel about <laughs> slant rhymes. Not yeah. really a rhyme. I don't know. Um, Piper? Someone Piper? Billy Piper. Yeah. It's not it's UK, no UK TV. There's no Billy Piper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who used right? to date. Um, I used to date Richie from Five, incidentally, Billy Piper, just so you know. Well, what's, the other, what's the other line that we're trying to rhyme it with again? The diaper so, line? Life for my family, because, yeah. man, these goddamn food stamps don't buy diapers, and it's no mo- movie. There's no Mackay Pfeiffer. Yeah. There's no Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> he only did one movie. <laughs> He's more closely aligned with wrestling. <laughs> Who? A diaper. Guyper. Viper. Yeah, Viper. Sniper. Sniper? It's no Sniper's good. Sniper. There's no yeah, Mark Wahlberg uh, in Sniper. In Sniper or <laughs> Tom Tom Berenger in the the director video sequel. <laughs> Life of my family, because man, there's goddamn yeah. food stamps and buy diapers. It's no movie. There's no. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're going to go with Pfeiffer, then Michelle Pfeiffer, yes, just like I get that she's a bigger movie star. If that's all you're looking for, is like I'm trying to make this about the movies, but he's referencing a specific movie. He's not saying my life is not like every movie. He's saying in this, my life is not like this specific movie that we are referencing because I'm playing with the idea of like, yeah, being rabbit, but rab, you know, be rabbit story is my story, but it's not entirely my story. He's like specifically referencing the movie eight mile in the song rather than movies in general. All right. But hang on. But that's confusing because he's rapping about how hard life is because he – I can't afford to buy diapers because yeah. life is no movie because yeah. there's no Mackay Pfeiffer. But if he's actually referencing 8 Mile, yeah. life in 8 Mile is exactly that, where Rabbit can't afford to buy diapers, lives in a trailer mm. park and stuff. Like I think what he means is like life isn't like, you know, The Wizard of Oz or life isn't like, what's that one? Um, like, the, like I was going to say The Cosby Show, <laughs> 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 referencing a body count song, but that's a bad reference. Uh, life, life isn't Sesame Street. Is no, I don't know. What what, what is it? What's what what movie or what TV show is like life? Oh, leave it to Beaver. Okay. God damn, these food stamps don't buy 
Cleavers. No, cleavers. But cleavers. What? But that doesn't make sense. He's referencing them like he's. This is a. Hang on, we're gonna have to go back to the start. I'm gonna. Um, okay. All right. I'm gonna. Do you want me? I've got them here. Do you want me to read you? Yeah. The, the start of the verse. Yeah. No more games. I'm a change what you call rage. Tear this motherfucking roof off like two dogs cage. I was playing in the beginning. The mood all changed. I've been chewed up and spit out and booed off stage. So that's Eminem, yeah. not Rabbit, right? Yes. But I kept rhyming and stepped up to write the next cipher. Best believe somebody's paying the Pied Piper. So that's why I wouldn't use Billy Piper or Rowdy Roddy Piper because he's obviously used Piper there. Pied Piper. Yep. All the pains inside amplified by the fact that I can't get by with my Nanta. Five and I oh – God, he's a good fucking rapper. The way he holds <laughs> back on the five to start the next line. And the fact that I can't get by with my nine to five and I can't provide the right type of life for my family because, man, these goddamn food stamps can buy diapers and it's no movie. There's no Mackay Pfeiffer. And this is my life and these times are so hard and it's getting even harder trying to feed my water and seed plus teeter-totter trying to up between being a father, prima donna, baby mama, drummer, scheming on her too much for me to want to stay in one spot. Another day of monotony has gotten me to the point I'm like a snail. I've got to formulate a plot or end up in jail or shot. Success is my only motherfucking option. Failure is not. Mum, I love you, but this trailer's got to go. So is this fucking yeah. rabbit now? Is this Eminem? No, this is Eminem. So Eminem is okay. talking about the time of his life that has been fictionalized in the movie Eight Mile, but he's talking about the fact that he lived it. It wasn't just a movie. This oh, was what he lived. Right. Okay. I get you. I get you. I get you. All right. Yeah. He's, he's clever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still reckon Mackay Pfeiffer, though, would be pretty wrapped that he got in there, considering, look, I'm not, uh, Mackay Pfeiffer, I'm sure, has had a, a wonderful career. I can't really think of anything that I've seen him in recently, but I'm sure he's working. But to be in that Oscar-winning song, when there was Michelle Pfeiffer, who's still doing tentpole, you know, she's going to be in the new Ant-Man and the Wasp, you did pretty well. I mean, it's like if you're going to use Clawson in a rap, mm -hmm. and you have to choose between me and Alf Clawson, the composer of the Simpsons thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I would feel pretty chuffed. But if it was a rap about, say, this podcast, then it would make more sense to use your name than it would to use Alf Clawson, <laughs> the composer from The Simpsons. You know, Alf Clawson was also the composer of the theme to the TV show Alf. I think that's fucking weird. Um, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're both names that people have. So, <laughs> well, one of them is an extent alien life form. Yeah. His name is actually isn't what's his fucking name? Uh, Alf's real name? I know, but Alf uh, like uh, Gordon Shumway. <laughs> that's true, but Alf alien life fo force like Alf Clawson is a life form. Okay, sorry, um, alien life form. Um, that is, yeah, but that's not what ALF stands for in ALF Clawson. Like, he's not alien Maybe. life form. <laughs> we don't know. If, okay, if we find out that ALF Clawson's name stands for alien life form Clawson, <laughs> then I am willing to admit that that is pretty weird. <laughs> so, all right, what's Mackay Pfeiffer been up to? Mackay Pfeiffer. Um, Spelt differently, I believe. To Michelle. Yeah, okay. Actually. All right, let's have a look at what he's done since that song came out, right? So so beforehand, he was kind of famous for – what was the most famous thing that he, he was in? I, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Oh, that's um, right. He was in uh, – I think he might have done ER. 
right? The TV show uh, ER. Yes, I remember him in ER. Um, but here we go. Here's his uh, filmography from uh, 2002. Uh, so, 8 Mile. In uh, 2003, he was in Honey. Do you remember Honey? It was like, was it Jessica, yeah, Jessica with, uh, Alba? Yeah, Jessica Alba. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was in a movie. He had a moment, Mackay Fiverr. He was Definitely. in a movie called Slow Burn with Ray Liotta in uh, 2005. He was in a movie called Puff Puff Pass, which he, uh, which was also known as Living High, and uh, it was about stoners, surprisingly enough. Um, and it was directed by Mackay Pfeiffer. So he was in a show or a movie called Canal Street. I was in a TV show called Canal, Canal Road. Road. Will, this is weird. Oh <laughs> Alf Clausen. Yeah, that is weird. Alf. He was in Divergent, uh, oh, yeah. which was that sort of Hunger Games ex- ex- series spinoff. Uh, Hang on, sorry, just before, I'm just, I just Googled Mackay Pfeiffer, mm. and under his IMDb, there's just like a, you know, like the, the teaser text. And you were saying before, like, if they, the only way you'd use Charlie Clausen over Alf Clausen if wrapped about a podcaster. Well, Mackay Pfeiffer. He's starring a show where he's a true crime podcaster <laughs> who tries to solve the mystery surrounding a family's patriarch death. So um, I wonder okay. if the Eminem and Mackay Pfeiffer are still friends. And Mackay says, hey, um, do you reckon you could just write a rap song for this TV show, whatever it's called? I can't find the link. It's about a podcaster. And Eminem's like, you know what? I don't, I'm not really into podcasts. I'm just going to have a random browse around. <laughs> And he says, T-O-F-O, and yeah. he's like, well, I used to love Russell Crowe's band. Maybe I'll listen to this one. And then he hears us and it fucking catches Eminem's imagination. And suddenly Tofop gets woven into the soundtrack and it wins an, his second Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> this is no podcast. There's no Tofop. There's no Will Anderson and Charlie Clawson. I mean, if he runs Clawson and Orson. Will you finally (laughs) give it to me? I mean, if he wins an Oscar for it, then I'm fine. Do you think that there is a Mackay Pfeiffer bump every time? Because that song, obviously, he did it at the Super Bowl. He he did it, like, uh, at the Oscars, like, came back and did the performance, you know. They play it at nearly every sporting event in the world. So is there a chance that, like, Mackay Pfeiffer has been – because he has been, like, working consistently since then. He's made a bunch of movies. He's been in a bunch of TV shows. Is he always top of mind just because of that song? It's probably the first thing I think of yeah. when I hear Mackay Pfeiffer is the lyric. Even before I think of him in 8 Mile, I think of Mackay Pfeiffer referenced in the Eminem song. Because prior to that, like, I mean, you've just done his IMDb, but what would be his signature role? Because he seems to have been a supporting role in lots of different big franchises. I know what you did last summer, Honey, 8 Mile, but... He doesn't really have like a superhero franchise or or anything like that. He's probably missed the boat when it comes to that, maybe. I mean, eventually everyone in Hollywood's going to have to be a superhero, right? Because they're just going to keep making, like in phase 16 of the Marvel Universe rollout, like Mackay Pfeiffer could be some old, like a general or some old retired superhero or, you know, one of those characters. We just, um, at the recording of this, the time we're recording this, uh, you're not on social media anymore, but no. James Gunn just mm-hmm. dropped a video announcing DC's upcoming slate, which he did as like a four-minute monologue to camera. Um, I don't know if you've been sort of following along with this whole James Gunn takes over DC thing, but it's been pretty entertaining. <laughs> the, the formula seems to be he's been calling in these stars to his office. 
and telling them that their franchises are over. Like he fucking sacked the rock, mm-hmm. sacked the rock, sacked Harry, Henry Cavill, sacked Gal Gadot. How do those meetings go down? Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall of that? It's it's a lot, isn't it? But particularly the Henry Cavill thing, because I mean, I haven't been following it closely, but I I saw basically that they've been trying to get Henry, Henry Cavill back as Superman for so long, and then in Black Adam, in the final like post credit scene, you know, Superman makes a cameo. I believe I have not watched Black Adam, so I'm, but I that, that, I am I'm led to believe that Superman makes a cameo. And then it was all about Henry Cavill is back in the DC universe and Henry Cavill announced that he was back in the DC universe and The Rock's talking about the next Black Adam film being Black Adam versus Superman. And then it seemed like about nine hours later, (laughs) James Gunn was like, hey, Henry, can you send me in my office, please, mate? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the rumour is too that he turned down the second season of The Witcher or or another season of The Witcher uh, because he was making room in his schedule (laughs) to come back as Superman and do James Gunn. And by the way, let me just say, like, I love James Gunn. I thought Peacemaker, I thought his Suicide Squad was great and Peacemaker was one of my favourite TV shows of last year. So I have, if if he wants to sack everyone, (laughs) I'm all for it. Like, I think, why not? But I've never – it's weird to see The Rock on the back foot so, like, so consistently. Like, the whole process of – you know, we talked about it lots of times leading up to the release of the film, him on the promo circuit. And then, you know, I'm not sure if you caught this before you got off social media, but he was basically giving updates on the box office performance, like, weekly, it felt like. He'd just do these little videos in his car and stuff. He's saying, everyone said we didn't make any money. Oh, we did. I rang my accountants and they assured me we're $80 million in profit. Well, firstly, here's what you will say about The Rock, and this has been the secret to his success, which is if he's in on something, he's all in. You know, you do get the impression that he would be absolutely across what the box office receipts are and he would be talking to the accountants and like he would be across every aspect of that business. Secondly, we know in Hollywood that the accounting around films is ridiculous like the idea of like what they can say a film made and didn't make you know, it can be manipulated for their own purposes for whatever agenda well, they're literally trying the to term hollywood accounting yeah. is a euphemism for cooking the books exactly so you know it must be in a way like i think that like if you are the person who feels like you are being manipulated by this idea of going people are seeing because a lot of people saw black adam and it turns out even a whole bunch of them liked it I've not met any of those people, but there has been people online, you know, lobbying for the fact that it was a good movie. And it did absolutely fine. It just didn't do what they were hoping or expecting that it would do. And the bar for what that is now is so fucking high that if you don't reach this incredibly high bar, it's seen as a failure. So I can imagine if you're The Rock and you've put everything into this and he put everything into it. Like, I mean, he was – you know, on the publicity trail well before it even started. He went everywhere to try to get this movie to work. Like he got his body in <sighs> insane shape, no padding, fucking ate a bucket of testicles, went and hung out with the liver king. <laughs> just fucking just tried was not aim, like I mean, was eating poppy seeds by the fucking bowl. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and did everything he could. And it did absolutely fine. And then of course it becomes essentially a failure, another failure in the in that DC universe because the bar now is so high that 
I can understand, you know, the the desperate need to try to tell people, no, this is doing fine. This is actually mm. doing fine. It's not maybe doing as well as we hoped that it was going to do, but it's doing fine. It's bizarre to, like, I haven't seen it either, but everything I've read about it that, you know. He, That's a bad sign, by the way, though. What? That neither you or I have seen this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and we both like the rock part, and superhero yeah, movies. That's part of the problem, isn't yeah. it? The fact that yeah. he could not get you or I to see this movie is, I think, part of the reason that uh, James Gunn invited him to the office and said, uh, my name's Gunn by name and Gunn by nature. I have a, I have a gun here with five bullets in it. <laughs> just, so you think he just stood there and Russian roulette at the rock? Just click, click. Click. <laughs> um, but yeah, that the, the the pushing of the film and the promoting the film, you know, the DC hierarchy of DC power yeah. is about to change, and you know, the language The Rock was using was like, "This is a game changer, man. Yeah. We're doing stuff in this film." Like, I, you know, I'm not wearing any, I'm not wearing a padded suit, all of it, and it's like for James Cameron to come out and say that. I'd kind of buy it because it's like, oh, what fucking crazy technology is James James mm. Cameron? I mean, I haven't seen the new Avatar either, but I imagine that you know he's been in working on some fucking yeah. camera for the last six years that literally will change the way films are made. But The Rock was saying all this to make probably the most popular and common tentpole film around today, which is the superhero film. Like, I don't think you can claim to be changing the game and then deliver exactly what we've been seeing for the last five yeah, years. Yeah, you've actually got to change the game. It's got to look like you've changed the game. Yeah, regardless of what Tom Cruise does and doesn't do when it comes to his stunts, if he does something in one of his movies where he's taken the risk, you can tell on screen. Like they shoot it in a way where you go, oh, you couldn't fake this shot. Like they've made the most of the fact that somebody has pushed themselves to this like level. If there was maybe more of that, when you're making a movie where someone has the powers of Black Adam, like, you know, these incredible superpowers, then it's going to all be CGI and look the same as everything else regardless. Because there's no way that like it's not that thing of going where, you know, you say with a Tom Cruise, oh, he did his own stunts. He jumped off this building. He like, you know, broke his ankle doing this. It's not like the rock was like, yeah, I learned to fly for this. Um, yeah. I, I learned how to punch, I learned how to punch a bus across a room. <laughs> I, sh I can shoot lightning <laughs> yeah. out of my eyes. Yeah. We didn't want to fake anything. So I've spent the last three years learning to shoot lightning. Well, their point of difference seemed to be, he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy and he doesn't care who he kills. And it's like, well, that isn't a point of difference because we've had that. Right. <laughs> that's like, that's most of your your stable mates. That's most of like Superman and Batman. We've seen them, thanks to Zack Snyder, kill heaps of people. They're mass like murderers. Like with machine guns, just... much more painful, cruel, sadistic murders too. Yeah. <laughs> like I think in one of those Batmans, doesn't he throw like a wooden crate that crushes a guy against uh, yeah. the wall? He's a I mean, that guy probably didn't die straight away. I no. reckon his lungs were punctured. He probably choked on his own blood. It probably took hours. Drowned. And he had family yeah his lungs filled up with his own blood and you know what it, i think he, he was didn't even feebly trying to reach his phone to dial his wife to tell her that he loved her in his last few moments and you think black adam's gonna fucking blow our minds yeah and the fact is that that guy's like his wife was in hospital and the only reason he got back into crime was it was the only way he could pay the bills because america has such a terrible health system it wasn't his fault maybe here's the problem the Rock kept telling us that the hierarchy in the DC universe was about to change. Change. And uh, unfortunately- Technically, he was right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ironically, the hierarchy in the DC universe did change and he was the first victim. Do you think that- 
<laughs> Do you think that that's what, what James James Gunn said to him when he came? He said, "Sit down, Mister Johnson. I have some good news and some bad news. And the good news is the hierarchy in the DC universe has indeed changed." <laughs> Uh, well, let's just get to uh, let's get to one bit of mail before we go. Um, uh, before we do that, though, let's just uh, promote our other show. So, Fofop is back with a vengeance. Um, uh, 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 you had a chat to Sammy P from Confessions of the Idiots last week, and then this week, uh, Guy Davis is back for another video store episode. So you can check out Fofop. You can go to tofop.com to find that. And also, Two Guys One Cup, our footy podcast. We have a summer show called My Club, where I'm ch- sitting with down. I can't even speak. Sitting down with various famous Australians and chatting to them about the clubs they support. Uh, Liam Flanagan, Triple, own, Triple M's own Liam Flanagan is on this week. And I'm always intimidated because Liam Flanagan is like a proper mm. – he's like he calls a for the A proper games, broadcaster. Broad, Robert sports broadcaster yes. too. And like it's okay when we get our, our dumb mates on the show, you know, we chat about stuff. And then to get someone on and like I, I immediately forgot the name. So next uh, – this season they're having this thing called Gather Round. It's like this, you know, round where all the teams go to Adelaide and play a series of games. And I – couldn't remember the name of it. And I could just sort of see Liam just being like, oh, my God, how do you guys have an AFL show? It's just been everywhere in the papers and you couldn't remember the gather round. But he's great. So check out uh, my club. We've got more guests coming on uh, right up until the season proper. You can find that on the Listener app. And then our Patreon. I want to drive people towards our Patreon. Not only do you get ad-free episodes, you get full videos of the show. So if you want to watch it along with Will and I as we record the show, and tons of artwork, years and years of archive material. Um, you can join for as little as a dollar a month. Um, I saw there's been a slight drop off in the month of January. I'm hoping that's just because of uh, Christmas. People have to tighten the belts a little bit. Um, but if we could encourage you to come back, we've got more stuff coming uh, for the Patreon soon. Will, what have you got to promote? Yeah, so I'm about to go on tour. I've, I've actually added a couple of my improvised shows, what you're talking about, Will. There's one I've added in Sydney at the Comedy Store and there's one that I've added in Brunswick Heads, uh, the Brunswick Picture House uh, on the Northern Rivers. So if you're in that part of the world and you would like to come to that show. Um, unfortunately, I've had to cancel my Newcastle shows. Um, this is all, unfortunately, that there's been some personal life things that um, have meant that I haven't been able to travel. And there may be some changes, unfortunately, to my touring schedule. But at the moment, all the details are at comedy.com.au. Check if I'm coming to where you are. And if I am not able to make the dates that are already up there, I will reschedule them for another time. But I just can't confirm any of that at the moment. But uh, um, I also have a book. It is called I Am Not Fine, Thanks. And you can watch my Wallogical special, which is last year's show, uh, for free on ABC iView at the moment. Free entertainment. Uh, this is from Oliver. This is uh, tagging onto the theme of AI-generated uh, content. Um, last week, you read a bit uh, as written for you by mm-hmm. Chatbot GPT. Oliver says, uh, hey, guys, there's been a new chat-based AI that came out today. It's genuinely impressive and or scary depending on how you look at it. Um, by the way, have you seen there's been a few images posted of like uh, AI-generated like nude nudies, nude, nude girls. They're sort of talking about AI pornography will be coming soon where it's like completely computer-generated so not, nude ladies. So not like deep fake sort of things. Not but deep literally fake, like just 100% artificial AI created people. in the lab. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, – they look <laughs> – 
They're, the Uncanny Valley mm. doesn't have to do with their faces. It has to mm. do with everything yeah, with else. Their, uh, with their Uncanny Valley. <laughs> like like if an 11-year-old boy, horny 11-year-old boy, like had to create what a woman looks like in an AI, that's what these things look like. Okay. I'm not – yeah, okay. I have not seen uh, that, so, and I'm pleased not to have seen that. Yeah, you don't need to see No one needs to see that. Testing it out, my mind, of course, went straight to my favorite AI doomsday prepping podcast, and I got – it's suggesting some new taglines for the show and they're surprisingly oh. wholesome. So this is what Oliver asked. Okay. I need help creating a tagline for my favorite podcast called TOFOP, which is short for 30 odd foot of pod, but no one really understands that and is generally regarded as rather confusing. Is that necessary information <laughs> to, to tell the computer? The computer Don't tell the AI that. that we're terrible at naming our shows. <laughs> Let it find out. We've got another one Let called it... FOFOP. It's also terrible. <laughs> Let it find out by itself if it's so intelligent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The podcast is hosted by Australian comedian Will Anderson and actor Charlie Clawson. The podcast doesn't have a specific theme or topic, but is very funny and generally consists of the two hosts talking about the happenings of their life, whether it be a neighbour stealing their bins, having sore hips, or being swept by magpies. <laughs> <laughs> a former producer suggested the tagline, a comedy conversation between two old mates, and all the, although the two hosts found it a little dull and uninspiring, they agreed it was accurate. Could you please suggest a few taglines for TOEFOP? So here are the five results. <clears throat> the comedy podcast where two friends discuss the quirks of life. Mm. I mean. I don't think that's, I, it's, I mean, maybe in portions. I don't think it perfectly sums up the show as much as, it's got to beat two old mates have a comedy a comedy conversation between two old mates. I don't think that's a That doesn't beat it. No, that doesn't beat it. No. Uh, number two, the podcast that proves that two heads are better than one in brackets at coming up with terrible jokes. <laughs> we might we might have a new later. <laughs> I have a, I have a, <laughs> get the sense we have a new clubhouse later. <laughs> two, hang on, the, the podcast where two heads are better at one. The podcast that proves yeah, two heads better are better than, than one, one in brackets. brackets at coming up with terrible jokes. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's cruel. It's a bit too. It's a bit too real. Um, okay, number three, two old mates mm. talking nonsense on TOEFOP. Mm. No, no good. Well, it's just it's just the uh, original one, like reworded, isn't it? Re reworded, yeah. Uh, that's right. It's copied homework. Yeah, that one. <laughs> exactly. You've just changed a few things around, but it's not an in, it's not a unique or original idea. Take. No. Um, four is also uninspiring. Hilarity ensues when Will and Charlie get together on TOEFOP. Well, that doesn't say anything mm, about the show. No. Except we're hilarious. I mean, um, that's that's not bad though. <laughs> and this one is actually, okay. I think, pretty good too. Right. And actually, I think, could have been written by one of us. The podcast that proves that laughter is the best medicine, in brackets, except for the actual medicine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's pretty on theme for Australia's number one medical podcast. Yeah, I like that one. I mean, that that clearly we've talked about number one medical podcast so much that that got into the AI's kind of got into its brain. It's like I have to mention medicine at least once. Um, all right, that is the pod for this week. The podcast that proves that mm. two heads are better than one at coming up with terrible jokes. So brackets I'm trying to at coming up with well, brackets I'm at sorry. coming up with terrible brackets. jokes. <laughs> Close brackets. I'm Charlie. <laughs> I'm Charlie. Clawson. I'm Will Anderson.
listener.